The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. happening welcome to another edition of on the corner i am nick pollock of course and we are continuing our podcast series where we cover the pitcherless mock draft and we have adam howe today adam howe is our podcast manager here at pitchless but most importantly he hosts the on the wire podcast on our network you can find him on twitter at 80 grade adam howe ah you're here you here i am it. I am. I made it. Uh, I, <laughs> lots of things stopped me from coming, and uh, I made sure to push them aside just just for this. I'm really just excited. for this. Yeah, just for this. As I, uh, you know, before this podcast, I realized. I think we counted how many podcasts I've done in the past, and it's like, oh, I mean, anything can happen to this one. Whatever, it's just one drop in the bucket, right? Who cares, Adam? No, of course, this is a very important one. We're talking about uh, 2022, your team, which was the number three spot. Um, and uh, you were <laughs> a couple of things I, I always ask people. I really want to ask you specifically. First of all, I think you were the one of the first people to select a spot. Is that right? Yeah, I think I was third. I mean, obviously, you were in there already. Um, right. I think uh, I think Chad Young had already selected a spot near the middle. Okay. And, uh, so I, I know I, I wanted to be for this this early on in the season i wanted to be near the top but not at the top because i was very curious to see kind of like what the consensus was going to be for the first one or two picks so yeah i went i went three kind of see what would trickle down to that spot and um i mean we'll get to that in a little bit so it's interesting i also didn't want to be completely at a turn here uh, but I like the idea of being able to like pair my picks so i think a three spot paired with the you know with the 10 spot on the way back um, is a nice little, it gives you the ability to pair your picks if you want to, without having to go back to back. Absolutely. And did you, uh, I don't know, did you make a groan or something when you saw Kevin Hastings, your co-host, go right after you in the four spot? That was interesting. Um, I'm not sure if he did it on purpose um, or not, but I was like, I did notice there was back to back podcast pairings like through the first at least four picks mm. between Winds Above Fantasy and then us going three or four. So that was interesting to see how many times we could possibly snipe each other throughout the draft. Because absolutely, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, Van Burnett, Steve Giswelli are those two coarser wins, but fancy definitely check them out on the network. And, of course, yeah, it must feel great having your podcast host want to partake in a mock draft early, you know. I, I miss Alex, okay? We all miss <laughs> Alex fast. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, we're going to talk about your picks, of course. And if this is your first one that you're listening to, well, here's the quick lowdown about it. It is Yahoo Standard. Um, 12 teamer five by five as basic as it gets so then we can have this foundation to build upon for the offseason uh, that means you have three outfielders two utility spots Shohei Otani is two separate players um, you have five by five scoring so it's average and it's wins I know it's lame but it's also the most common thing and very important 23 rounds 12 teamers so uh, head-to-head focused. I mean, you could say it's maybe a little bit roto too. There's very, there's a lot of similarities. Argument is you can punt more effectively in a head-to-head than you can in roto. But still, I don't think anyone really wants to go off and do that. And here we are, third pick overall, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr. And let's be honest, you just wanted to continue the trend of juniors <laughs> as you selected Fernando Tatis. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion about where Tatis should go, considering he's not getting shoulder surgery. I believe you knew that at this point. Maybe not. You did not know this. Okay, so talk to me about your thoughts when you took the pick and how you're feeling now. Yeah, this the draft started, obviously, before the playoffs were even in full swing for the most part. And sure. there wasn't really an announcement. You heard... Fernando Tatis talk about how he knew about his body. He didn't think he was going to want to do the the surgery in the offseason, but there was no official announcement until after, or at least I think during the World Series, there was an actual announcement. He was not going to, he was going to forego the um, surgery, which is just wonderful for 2022 in my mind. Um, not, not, not having to go into worrying about whether he's going to start the season on time, if he's going to be at 100% at the start of the season. Now, the right. concern obviously is always going to be about whether or not he will last the full season. Um, this is, uh, you know, his shoulder um, coming out of the socket, which doesn't sound like a fun thing to happen. No, not at all. Never, never mind multiple times a year, which is what I've gathered has been happening to him for um, a good chunk of his you know baseball playing career. Um, and it happened twice. I mean, he had to deal with it two times throughout the uh, throughout 2021. What brings me some kind of a little bit of confidence is that he came back both times, and every in both times he came back, he came back at MVP caliber of Tatis. Yeah. Um, it'll always be a concern until he gets the surgery, and when he gets the surgery, it depends on what what time of year he gets it at um, or what happens if. If I'm going to go into this trusting him as a person, you know, we we talk about this with with pitchers, you know, like like certain pitchers don't want to get MRIs <laughs> or certain pitchers don't want to deal with their situation. Don't remind me, Adam. <laughs> I just see Tatis says, I don't know why, but like I see him as a as a different being in that he's first of all, he's a hitter. Um, you know, obviously you have to you have to. You need your arms to swing a bat. I get that. Um, it's just a little <laughs> bit of a different situation for him. And the fact that he was he was willing and able to switch positions in order to mitigate um, any kind of risk, though he, he came out and specifically said, I'm a shortstop, I'm going to be a shortstop, and I foresee him being a shortstop next year for sure. Though it is nice that he has the outfield eligibility going into 2022. Um, and who's to say he won't? 
hold on to that for 2023. We'll see what what the Padres end up doing with him. But um, that was a big part in selecting Tatis over over the likes of even Bo Bichette, um or 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 any other guys that have um, that single eligibility. So you'll you'll see there's a lot of dual eligibility um, selections I made, oh, and it's man. Yahoo, so that's not rare. I mean, right? If, if for everyone listening, it's five games started, ten games played for Yahoo. Yeah, which obviously is a little bit lower of a um, uh, a ceiling or a level that you need to hit yeah. threshold. Thank you. Um, than you would say in like NFBC or Fantrax. That's right. typically 20 games. Now, uh, the other comparison, of course, is Trey Turner, uh, who went to the next pick to Kevin. Um, and this is going to be talked about a lot because you're, you're completely right. Fernando Tatis in 130 games, about 550 plate appearances, which isn't the full season, but it's a very significant chunk of the season. Uh, 42 home runs, essentially 200 runs in RBI combined. 25 stolen bases, 282 average. I mean, this is a dream. This is everything you want. Uh, this this is a 1-1 caliber player. Uh, the question is, how much are we going to see? And I, I, I go back and forth on this. On, on one side, I think in a, I'd say in a 15-teamer, if it's a deeper league, I'm not doing this because I can't risk losing a lot more production in season. I would say in a 12-teamer, though, and you actually really showcased this, uh, there are a lot of shortstop options, and you can find a replacement a lot easier um, in season, I think, uh, for Tatis, which does make me a little bit more inclined in 12-teamers to take that risk in the first round because if you lose some production, then it's okay. You can you can even make the argument, well, let's say even I get 80 games out of Tatis. It's going to be those 80 games plus 80 games of someone else, and that actually is better than something else and it's not like Tatis will be on the team and not playing so it will be directly an IL spot or not which is definitely a benefit of some other situations that you might see which are hipsters headache inducing starting pitchers that stifle the entire roster sorry I just breeze all through that but I I, I get it um, I, I'm so risk averse early on if that I I, have, I feel myself you know the stomach is is churning uh, seeing Tatis at three, given the information we know now, because we we have to expect an injury. We just have to. Um, and Trey Turner's next with a lot more stable production, but 28 home runs, 77 RBI. It's not as massive and uh, doesn't have that gravitas that Tatis Jr. has. So I understand leaning on him third overall. I, I will say I, I agree. I'm going to go back to a point you made about being able to find a shortstop in season to replacement. I don't think that's actually going to be that easy to do off the wire because mm-hmm. I think the, even though shortstop is so deep um, in the draft, the majority of them are good enough to be drafted. Right. Um, and a lot of them have dual eligibility, which we'll get to with a couple of my other picks that people are going to be drafting them. Uh, this goes for second base as well. Trey Turner, for example, obviously available at second and shortstop. Um, and you're they're going to get drafted and they're going to be in people's lineup. So I think it's I don't think that shortstop eligible players on the in most leagues wires are going to be that great. So I think if I'm going to make a pick like this, uh, a risk pick in the first round, which, you know, the adage is you can you can't win your league in the first round, but you can definitely lose it. Um, that there's a possibility here. But with enough backup shortstop options in the draft, um, you can you can kind of make it work or you can mitigate the risk. 
Absolutely. And uh, yeah, of course, listen to the guy that uh, does the podcast on the wire about what will be on the wire. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's a really great point. If you get Tatis, make sure you have some of those backup options in the draft that you'll be able to move around and everything. Uh, so uh, second round, um, you decided to pair Tatis Jr. with Rafael Devers. Uh, and work me through your thoughts with Devers. I mean, all right. So I, I would have... And I, this goes back to my mock draft I did with you last year um, where I, I picked Francisco Lindor in the first round. Obviously, in retrospect, didn't work out the best way. But I also left Jose Ramirez on the board. And you gave me a little bit of flack for that at the time, never mind afterwards. I would have loved, like, if I hadn't gotten Tatis, if I had been a little bit further down in the in the first round and Tatis wasn't there, maybe Turner wasn't there, I would have loved to have gotten Jose Ramirez in the first round. And obviously Devers doesn't become an option at that point. And that's literally just because third base is just nothing <laughs> after the <laughs> first, after the first couple options. And they're all going between uh, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, even after that, it, it falls off pretty quick. You've got guys like Max Muncy who lost third base eligibility. Um, a couple other guys that are either lost eligibility or just have started to fall off a little bit more. I didn't want to deal with third base the rest of the rest sure. of the draft. It wasn't something I wanted to have on my mind whatsoever. And Rafael Devers is as an elite option um, in four categories, as you can get at this point, maybe a little bit lower floor and average, but top offense in Boston um, being the core really of that offense um, and playing at a position that's going to be, it's not going to be something I want to fill throughout the, throughout the season. Yeah. Austin Riley in the fifth round, Kevin Hastings was really big on that one. Definitely listen to that podcast, but you're right. I mean, there's not a ton of depth at, uh, at third base. I'm just really quickly deciding, you know what, I'm going to sort by offensive war. Those who were a third baseman. This past year, and you might be surprised that the eighth is Jaime Candelario. I that that, that just what uh, that's crazy to me. Uh, Josh Donaldson nine, oh, no, 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 Nolan Arenado tenth. I can say things. JD Davis, Luis Arise. It gets bad. It gets, you do not want to be trusting this. Uh, obviously, Alex Bregman is down here and will be higher up. We expect that same with Matt Chapman, but there really is not a lot of depth at third base and. Third base and second base to me are the ones that I need to not uh, wait on. Uh, those are very, those are the important ones. First base I found is deeper. Shortstop, as we've talked about, is relatively deep. Uh, but third base and, and second base, you got to get out of the way. And Devers, I mean, Devers is certainly a good one. 38 home runs, 101 runs, 113 RBI, 279 average. He even had five steals. That was cool. Nice to, <laughs> nice to do that, Devers. And it's not like the Red Sox lineup is going to be terrible. I mean, sure, we don't really know what the status of J.D. Martinez is, uh, but maybe they sign someone else. Maybe, you know, Cassianos shows up there, or uh, they have Cassis showing up, and maybe he makes an impact. I don't know. Regardless, that's still going to be a great Red Sox offense. Devers is a major part of it. He's going to do wonderful things. This is a very safe pick, I believe. Um, so I, I'm, all, I'm for this. Nice to see him bring down the strikeout rate from last year to 27% to 21.5 walk rate career high at 9% for Devers. Wonderful stuff there. I, yeah, this is, I, I have no problem with this, Adam. Yeah. The, the, 
the the kind of the also the thing kind of like in the back of my mind is all of the Red Sox like faithful talking about how they love to see Devers actually move over to first base um, and fill that third base either by moving Bogarts over to third base um, due to his defense at short not being completely spectacular or filling it in some other way. If that happens in season and he gets that dual eligibility, I mean, that helps. He probably, he's still staying at third base due to the depth of the position. Um, But having the possibility of that dual eligibility is, is is nice thing to look forward to. So third round comes around. And I remember talking to, to Kevin Hastings and talking about his Liam Hendricks, Salvador Perez pairing. And he said, look, Adam knows me. And he knows that I want to do this. So I'm going to structure my picks in a way that makes it so that Adam Howe can't can't get himself to take Salvador Perez before. And, and he could take Liam Hendricks for me. So I want to make sure he doesn't do that. Was that in any consideration for your second and third round picks? Did you have any interest in Liam Hendricks or Salvador Perez? I would have had interest in Liam Hendricks in the third Obviously. Ah, so uh, there you go, Kevin. You did it. <laughs> you pulled it off. It, it's it, it, I talked to him a little bit about after after the fact he made that pick. And we had talked about that on on the wire um, as a strategy going into this year is just being really heavy on the high end closers going in. I, I think that my point, though, is that I think I will have that strategy going in more so in a roto league than I will in a head to head league. Right. Um, am I I mean, I get unless unless you want to go with the relief pitching heavy strategy in a head-to-head league where you've got the top four closers on your team and you're punting wins and you're punting strikeouts for the most part, and you're just going for those three categories because three out of five pitching categories will help you win most weeks. And then sure. if you make it into the playoffs, it's a it's a valid strategy if you're structuring your team going into the playoffs. It's obviously one of the more risky play, plays you can make. Um, but in this in this game that we're seeing kind of unfold around us over the last couple of years and going into this year, saves are going to be so incredibly difficult to predict um, throughout the season, never mind doing a mock draft in October uh, when you have some pretty good free agent closers or relievers out there at the moment. Raziel Iglesias obviously comes to mind. Um, and never mind... Like I just have a feeling like a good 25% of the closers who start opening day are not going to be closers come May 1st. Like it's not going to take very long to see kind of the fluctuation. So So, Liam Hendricks is going to be that guy in Chicago. I get it again, probably going to, I'm really, I'm looking forward to listening to how he (laughs) explains that. Now the Sal Perez one, honestly, once I saw him pick Sal Perez, I'm like, I, I kind of was disappointed in myself for not, picking him first because I had the opportunity of picking him in the third round instead of my actual pick. Um, but I'm happy with what I ended up getting with catchers. So we'll get to that a little bit later. So a couple of things really quickly. One, for those listening, we are recording on November 5th. Uh, I know I've staggered out these podcasts. It's all Nick's fault. Um, but uh, it's, you know, obviously we're, we're doing these. We did the draft and we're talking about them. We're staggering them out through the offseason. Uh, but um, the other thing, <laughs> I've been so tempted over the years to truly do a, a two reliever 12 teamer team. And that, what I mean by that is say fifth, sixth round, maybe even including the fourth, um, getting like Josh Hader and then maybe Liam Hendricks falls to that too, or something like fourth, fifth going Hader Hendricks. And then honestly getting like Ryan Presley or something is my first three pitchers, not even getting a starter. 
replacing them with elite closers. Because if I'm saying what I, you know, if I'm me and I really truly believe that I can feast on, um, you know, Zach Gallon, Ian Anderson, Michael Kopech, whatever, that sounds like the fun, like the most fun team I could have, right? Three closers. I don't have to think about that anymore. They're also going to help every week. They're going to add up to at least one elite starter anyway. And then pairing it up, then it gives me the freedom to say, oh, no, I can get all these pitchers now. I've always thought about it, and I haven't had the brass to do it yet proper. And this might be the year. I might just put it all on the line of the Legacy League. There you go. I was going to say, in a head-to-head league, I can totally see that working, Um, especially come August and September when everybody's kind of scrambling after the deadline to try to find those clothes like the David Bednars who walk into a role after a trade deadline. Right. Um, And you're sitting back kind of watching the madness and happen. I'm having fun. I mean, you know, I got my Alkman Noah and my Robbie Ray and my, you know, from like, from picking them up on the waiver wire, those equivalents and stuff. Um, you know, here's the thing too. None of the guys in the legacy league are going to listen to this. Like they don't, they don't care what I think. So uh, they make, they might listen for you, Adam. They won't listen for me. Uh, so maybe I can pull that up. We'll see. Anyway, we've, we've, <laughs> Delayed enough who the actual third round pick was. So it was it was Tatis Jr., Rafael Devers. Third round came and it's Tyler O'Neill. And why did you go with Tyler O'Neill here? So I you know, I listened to your mock draft and I have a similar philosophy as far as outfield goes. I typically don't go after outfielders early in the draft. Sure. Um, but with Tyler O'Neill, he's good. Like, He's very good. <laughs> he, he hit ball hard is, you know, the typical <laughs> thing you hear about Tyler O'Neill. Right. Combined with the fact he's just he's turned himself. He's shown he can be a five category contributor um, on a very good. What has turned out to be a, actually a good Cardinals offense. Um, you know, not uh, the Cardinal rule is was no longer in effect by the I end stopped, of the season. Yeah, I yeah, stopped saying that retired one. Oh, that yeah. one real quick. Yep. Um, and I kind of look at him and, and it's going to be weird. It's like, Kyle Tucker went at the, I think at the end of the first um, or at the very beginning of the second Yep, on the turn. And Tyler O'Neill is Kyle Tucker like to him with a lower, with maybe a lower average floor than Tucker has um, obviously with the 30% strikeout rate, that's not going to help him, but his very hard hit rate is keeping his bat above high and looks like it's actually pretty sustainable considering the fact that he's been He's been running with a high bab up his entire major league career. So combine that with 98% sprint speed. And more importantly, when I'm looking at stolen base opportunities, I'm actually looking at um, the home to first speeds. And he ranked 45th in baseball uh, with a 4.23 second sprint speed from home to first. And that's right up there with starting Marte, uh, Ronald Acuna when he was playing. So this is a guy who as long as St. Louis's manager, new manager, um, is is able to utilize that talent that he has on his team to steal bases, um, then he's going to be able to add that, contribute 15 stolen bases last year. I can see him doing that, at least that again next year, if given the opportunity. And when it comes down to it, like, a lot of people talk about managers and how they, how they view stolen bases. And I think a big concern about that, I think it was a couple of years ago when Matheny came, came to Kansas City where they worry about whether or not Monsi was going to continue to steal, you know, when healthy um, or anybody else. And you realize you utilize the talent that you have um, to the best of your ability to get what you can. You're forcing people to run who can't run and you're allowing people to run who obviously have shown the ability, not only the ability to, um, but also the the talent to. 
I mean, that 98% sprint speed allows allows O'Neill to stay in the outfield as well. Um, even if he's not a perfect defender, he's fast enough to kind of make up for mistakes he might make on reads and what have you. And obviously defense doesn't have a category in our leagues, but it does allow, especially in the National League, when we don't know for certain that there's going to be a DH, um, that he'll have you know regular playing time against pretty much anybody. Man, Tyler O'Neill, okay. I... You guys know me. I don't like spending on young breakouts or essentially one year of excellence. It's generally not what I go after. Um, I am risk-averse Nick Pollock when it comes to hitting. Pitching, a totally different story. Uh, But hitters, I took Jose Ramirez, Freeman, Story, Springer, Altuve, high. So uh, with Tyler O'Neill, it was really rough for him um, before this season. Uh, 173 average, seven home runs in 50 games last year. And uh, we didn't really know if he was going to get over the hump. The strikeout rates have always been bad. 31% this past year uh, for Tyler O'Neill. That that seems like it's going to be something that's going to be an issue. 16% swing strike rate. Both of those higher than the 2020 mark. However, there are certain things that are very encouraging. Uh, it's the pull rate to me that is actually the most shocking uh, 45% pull rate in 2020 actually went down to only 38%. Using the, the field more is pretty good to help with average in general, a 366 BABIP. And that's not including the ones that are over the fence. Uh, that is really, really good. He hits the ball hard, as you said. And it's a case where I say this a lot, and I, I know it's like pseudo-analytics, and it's it's I, I can't say it enough, though. It's very easy as fantasy analysts, to say, okay, let's see if he deserved his success, right? Let's sure. say, like, oh, oh, let's look under the hood and see if this was just luck or not. And a lot of times, it's not, you know? They they hit home runs because they hit the ball hard and they have a high expo bacon and they have a high expected batting average and all this kind of stuff that says, like, yeah, he did great things and and he deserved to have that success. So that means... Now he's going to be good in 2022 because he deserved it in 2021. And that's the leap that is so hard. And it's what makes this game really fun is there is no actual. I mean, yeah, (laughs) doing it once well is a more likelihood that he'll do it again well. But at the end of the day, the highest uh, predictor to me is multiple seasons of the more sample you get of it. I'm, I, I know this is more at 11 shocking news, Nick. <laughs> but I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to really get at is I think we, as a community, and I do this too. I mean, I do this with pitchers all the time uh, is because they did it once one season. We assume that it's a lock now for the next season. And that's not the case. You know, I think only a good example, actually, I'm not even going to say anything on risk of like, there was some outlier award, but it's happened many a time um, where we see a breakout season and it just doesn't repeat. So that's my hesitation about Tyler O'Neill. Now, that said, looking at a lot of these other outfielders, Tyler O'Neill is, oh, he's a he's a beautiful one. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you mentioned Kyle Tucker in the end of the first round. Yeah, I mean, seeing 15 stolen bases on top of that legitimate production, not to mention didn't even play 140 games, it's 138. Uh, there's a lot to like, and it does get bad with outfielders pretty quickly by like the seventh round or so. I think the seventh round is where the real cliff hits. But even before that, I mean, Tyler O'Neill provides absurdly high a, a ceiling and he could theoretically even get better. He's 26. Uh, so you have Stalling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, Whit Merrifield, Nick Castellanos as the next ones. 
I completely understand getting Tyler O'Neill here in the third round. You, you remember, I, I totally agree. Like predicting future success is a lot easier to do when you have, you know, a couple More of years under your yeah. belt. Yeah. <laughs> but Tyler O'Neill wasn't a slouch when he was coming up as a prospect either. Like, sure. so I think that there was definitely a little bit of prospect fatigue uh, with Tyler O'Neill as he obviously struggled in his first couple seasons, um, either both staying healthy and just being playing regularly every day. Um, and so the fact that he was given the uh, the ability to get 138 games under his belt in 2021, 50 games last year out of the 62 possibilities last year um, shows that, you know, this isn't a fluke per se. Like, all right, Cedric Mullins, I'm a huge fan of Cedric Mullins. Um, I, I feel like I was like uh, two years early on him um, to, uh, when huh. he first came up. Um, and, oh, and, you know, it's, didn't it's get a enough. feeling. Yeah, it's a feeling, Adam. <laughs> get used to it. Happens but all like, the time. <laughs> but like Mullen, like I'm, I'm less likely to jump on Mullen's repeatable bandwagon for this year than I am with Tyler O'Neill, just because you know this is a guy Tyler who came up with all, right. all the everybody was saying how good he was going to be as a prospect. You know, Kellenek is going to get this treatment, you know, in a year or two as well. Um, until, you know, and, he, and when he finally completely breaks out of, you know, his slump, it'll from be last more year. believable is what you're right. saying. Right. So then there's, I mean, I can't help but think of Glaber Torres and I'll be honest. I don't know if there is some giant, you know, when, when he has 38 home run season, 2019, I think it was, I, I'm sure there were many things saying, Hey, this isn't legitimate, but at the same time you have 16% swing strike rate and a 31% strike rate with Tyler O'Neill. Fine. But there is a prospect pedigree, too, um, of like, and he didn't, you know, he hasn't been the same the next years. But I mean, that's that's a point aside. All of that really I'm I am saying it's a third round pick that's justified very much. So if it, if I felt that there was really this cataclysmic uh, descent coming for Tyler O'Neill, I would be saying, what are you doing, man? You're you're, <laughs> you're, you're crazy. Don't do this. I don't think that's the case. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a rant I normally have about predicting success just because he did well today doesn't mean he does well tomorrow. And it's something I just have to constantly, constantly say because it's, yeah, it, it's it's easy for all of us to like, I do it all the time. It's like, oh, this guy was great today. He's clearly going to be great tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, like, it allows eight earned runs. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and I, you know, I just, I just need to do that constant reminder. We spent a lot of time on Teller O'Neill. I'm sorry if you had other points, but you know we're going to go a little bit long on this podcast. It's not even get it out crazy. of the way. Get it out of the way. And you know what? Like I think this is a good time. Before we talk about the next two pitchers, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well, from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball, even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at PitcherList.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right. So I said it was two pitchers that you had, Adam Howe. And I mean, I like both of these guys. They're fun. I don't know if I would have taken the second one as early as you did. 
But the first one, certainly, and that's Robbie Ray, who's who he's going to be a man of discussion. Yeah, you want to talk about like breakout seasons and not believing them and all that kind of thing. Like just because he has success one year doesn't mean the next. Well, Robbie Ray is certainly up there. What made you say, no, this is exactly the person I want now? So, yeah, I mean, I like you said, I paired. This was this is what I was talking about earlier, where I want the ability to be able to pair my picks without being exactly on the turn. And I was able to kind of do that here um, with Robbie Ray starting it off. If I had a brand, it would revolve around Robbie Ray. Like last oh, wow. year, I had Robbie Ray everywhere. Wait, um, wait, you are Ray fans. Ray- sunglasses. All <laughs> right, it it's fine. No, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll workshop that one. Yeah, we'll uh, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I felt... Like I, I just, I just thought the value of what Robbie Ray could possibly produce at the beginning of last year was going. He was just going way too late based on what he could provide, and that's strictly strikeouts at at that time. Now right. he's Ray shown, bandwagons. Okay, oh, fine. No, that one's better. That one's okay. Better. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but right. I mean, last year I'm drafting him strictly for the strikeouts, right? And course, I'm now yeah. not necessarily worrying about what he could provide with you know, the ratios. And I mean, I knew he was going to be on a, a decent team. So wins were a possibility um, in Toronto or Dunedin, Buffalo, Toronto. Um, and obviously he, you know, knocked it out. Um, I got a lot of flack for picking him in one of our uh, um, blind uh, draft leagues um, way too early. And my co-manager gave me a lot of flack after the fact ha. I got to see all the, if anybody doesn't, he, isn't I aware. Mean, Adam, you knew that he was going to, you know, <laughs> change his approach entirely and throw harder. Oh, I, I can, I have my crystal ball in my, in my office and uh, that's what around, they told yeah. me. I know, but it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I think, I, I think 19 leagues last year in various formats. And I think oh, I had wow. him in 15 out of those 19 leagues. Incredible. Um, uh, I do not think I had him in our starting pitcher only league though. So, um, well, that was, the, that included hitting though. Yeah. That was the whole idea. That's the only reason why <laughs> I didn't partake. And I was so excited. <laughs> the, the, the entire, the PL plus community on discourse like, Hey Nick, we're doing an SP only league. I'm like, finally, where do I sign up? And I say, okay, cool. Where are the rules of this? Hey, so it's about how they hit. And, and pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't no what's the point? I want I wanted to a league where it's just about starting pitching performances and now you're introducing the thing that I don't want. Why would you do this? <laughs> Why would you do this? Sorry. Regardless. <laughs> anyway, I mean I, I totally see this as being sustainable for Robbie Ray, and I'm very curious to see where he goes. Um, getting him, I mean, what went up last year, one of the, the concerns was that he was allowing, a, he was throwing the ball in the strike zone way more, and thus he was allowing more home runs. That's going to happen when you play, I think, 25% of his games in Dunedin, Florida in the first half of the season, play a handful of games in Buffalo, and then Toronto doesn't exact, isn't exactly a pitcher-friendly park either. So I'm curious to see if he gets out of the AL East, if he goes to a place that has a lot of openings in the rotation, say like San Francisco um, and goes to a more pitcher friendly ballpark um, and can kind of really take advantage of that. Now there's only so much weight you can place into where he ends up going. Um, but I mean, Robbie Ray's going to get paid um, simple as that. He took that one year deal for Toronto to kind of show that he, can do what he did and he's going to end up getting paid somewhere. And I think the only kind of teams that are going to pay up for that kind of production 
are teams that are, are producing, that are teams that are going to be um, in the hunt on good ball clubs that are going to be able to provide him with opportunities to win. Robbie Ray has shown he can get quality starts. He can actually go deep into games. And I, I'm a fan here. So, oh, my God. I, I didn't even know this until right now. Robbie Ray. Can you guess how many times he led? He essentially earned a gallows pole. Uh, that is, he led the league in a given night with the most whiffs. He had the most whiffs of any starting pitcher on a given night. How many? How many times do you think across? How many starts? Right, how many starts he had? He had um, thirty. I believe months, it was thirty-three, thirty-two. I'm gonna say half of. I'm gonna say half of that, half. So. Well, okay, that's that's no, no one, no one's done fifty <laughs> percent. I would be impressed. Pole, right? <laughs> But ten is absurd to me. I don't. I I have to believe that's the highest amount. We'll, we'll figure that out later. But uh, that, that's crazy. And uh, if you want to know in a nutshell why is Robbie Ray all of a sudden good, um, all you need to do is look at his zone percentage on his fastball. It went from hovering fifty percent or so to jumping to sixty percent and being just as effective, if not better, than before. I mean, it, it's it's that simple. Uh, swing percentages obviously went up, and guess what? Swing strike rate went up to 13% on a four-seamer, which is really good. And also, the zone rate on a slider went up. He threw a lot more strikes. Uh, 62% strike rate on a slider, a 70% strike rate on his uh, on his fastball, and his stuff is just that good. That all of a sudden, now he has a 7% walk rate, as opposed to the previous years, which, I mean, I'm not going to talk about 2020, but have been above 10% every year. I mean, it was 18% in 2020. That was just ridiculous and stupid. Uh, 11% 2019 for Robbie Ray. So, uh, to me, this is a man who increases fastball velocity at 94, 95, as opposed to 93, 94, or even actually before that was sometimes 92, 93, who has now decided to stop nibbling around the edges and just throw strikes because the stuff is that good. He saw lots of success with it. I don't really see this changing a whole lot. The one area I will say, obviously, is the left on base percentage was very high. Uh, it was at 90%. We don't expect that. So we do expect some regression of the 284 ERA. Fine. 340. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like ERA to me, I think we kind of lose sight of the fact of how easy it is to change. <laughs> um, earned runs happen randomly all the time. And, you know, one one bad day just makes your ERA go from 284 to 320, you know, and it's uh, it's very finicky in that way. It, you know, I don't I'm not going to expect him to do a 285, but like a 3435, three, sure. And it's going to come with an elite strikeout rate. It's going to come with a lot of volume. It's going to come with an excellent whip. Like, yeah, you should be very happy with Robbie Ray in the end of the fourth round, Adam. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of this has to do with as well, and we're talking about this with my next pick, I think, um, is head-to-head. So you're playing week-to-week. And so I don't necessarily care too much about what the full-season ERA is going to look like. I care about what kind of ERA, what kind of whip he's going to put up in the week, in the moment, especially, obviously, come August and September as we're going into the playoffs uh, scenarios in, in those types of leagues. And... I paired him with my next pick because I want I didn't have to want to worry about strikeouts as much, regardless of how deep these guys go into the game. Robbie Ray has shown he can go six or seven deep um, on a regular basis. Combined with his strikeout rate, you know he's going to put up he's and any given start he could give me ten strikeouts. Um, right. That's kind of what I'm looking at for my first couple of pitchers that I picked in the in this draft. Yeah, 250 strikeouts just underneath that for Robbie Ray in 2021. 
Now, fifth round is going to be someone I think oof, lots and lots of thoughts are going to be had about Aaron Nola. Um, Aaron Nola is dear to my heart, Adam Howe. He was, I think, the first guy that I was in on that no one else was in on that became a thing. And it kind of came became shocking. <laughs> like, I was out when everyone was in. In 2000, I, I think, like, uh, 18 or 19. I don't remember what it is. It was the year after he had this amazing thing. Yeah, 2019, I was out. Um, but I, I love Aaron Nola. We have Live Every Day Like It's Nola Day t-shirts because he just brings <laughs> immense joy how he pitches. An amazing curveball, one of the best in the majors. I think one of the more underrated. Like every pitch to me is underrated because people don't understand individual pitches enough. They just think about the player and don't think about the pitches. And ah, somebody <laughs> think of the pitches, please. Won't please. think of the pitches. Ah, it's amazing. Aaron Nola's knuckle curve. Um, but he has a fastball. He commands well for the most of the time. Some days it isn't quite there inside and outside. He goes more east west and up now north south. And change of the kind of disappeared last year, and the and the end result for Nola was a four eight four six three ERA, um, one thirteen WHIP though, thirty eight percent strikeout rate. I will note only one hundred eighty one innings because of that ineffective ERA knocked him out of games a little bit sooner than usual. So thirty two starts still. Normally, if you get thirty two starts from Aaron Nola, he's hinting at two hundred, um, but you know he had two hundred twelve in thirty three starts in two thousand eighteen. One fewer start, and that's a drop. Of what 32 innings? I can do quick maths. Yeah, un- absurd. Um, he's not gonna have a one star 32 inning game. So, I uh, are you seeing a massive just hey, bad luck 67% left on base rate? Not gonna happen again. Everything is totally fine. I'm gonna get that great volume. No, see, I only pick the pitchers that I pitch because I want you. I want to hear what you have to say about them. Uh, oh, I just want to allow you to talk Adam. about them. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. Uh, okay, I will I will not I, say a word about your next couple ones. I'll let you do the whole rant. I, I probably shouldn't have got that out of the bag early. No, it's I my mean, fault completely. I mean, Nola was frustrating. He was really frustrating uh, to roster because, I mean, I hear you talk about it all the time, and I felt the same way. I had him on one or two rosters. He He's not somebody you're going to, you were ever going to drop you, you weren't going to bench him either. You were just going to keep putting him out there because he's Aaron Nola, um, because he's on a decent Philadelphia team. Um, he, you know, you think he's going to have that tiara. He's going to turn it around right away. He's going to just give you what you need in any given start. And it just seemed like he never did. Um, like the end results obviously is not an undraftable player um, at the end of the season, but you know, obviously 223 strikeouts that's fine. Uh, we'll take that um, pretty much any day. And I mean, that's what I'm holding on to as well is that in any given start, Aaron Nola still can even going five innings, which was way too often as you, as you alluded to, um, or less than that, as he's getting knocked around and getting knocked out of the game early, he's still putting up 10 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts, um, you know, nine, eight strikeouts. So he's still giving you that kind of production, even when he's struggling uh, for whatever reason that is. I'm also also probably putting a little bit too much stock in the fact that he's on Philadelphia. He's in the NL East, the NL East, not exactly the strongest offensive um, division in baseball. I know. Are Atlanta you, are you just, bringing back the NL easy? Is that I, what you're doing? I wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, they just won really, the world series, Adam, but that's postseason. postseason. Obviously everybody is, everybody <laughs> knows that's different than regular season. Um, and I mean, Mar- the Marlins are an up and coming team, but most right. of the, the majority of them is in the, is, is in their pitching. Washington 
is Juan Completely Soto in company. Right. Uh, and obviously the Mets are just a whole nother bag of whatever. Um, and I just, there, he's going to have an opportunity with his matchups to kind of get right and get in, and, and kind of showcase everything that you just talked about. Like I, I, the other flip side of this is that if, if it's possible to be sniped on a pick after you make your pick, um, this is what happened this round. Um, I would have loved to have gotten Austin Riley um, in this pick. He was the one I was actually debating between drafting Austin Riley for my first base slot in this spot. I ended up going with my gut and going, I wanted to pair. I wanted my quote unquote pocket aces in the fourth and fifth round of a 12 teamer and ended up going Nola instead. Oh, that, that's pretty funny. It would have been great to see uh, Kevin's reaction to um, you sniping him on Austin Riley. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, to your point, uh, on uh, on June 25th, Aaron Nola went 5.1 innings, 12 strikeouts against the Mets. Wonderful. So we're thinking, oh, man, he gets the Marlins next. This is the greatest thing ever. And what do you know? He has 11 strikeouts and 4.2 innings with a l- seven, seven earned runs. How do you do that? How do you? And I remember this, too. He was cruising through the first four, I believe. And then that fifth just... It was the worst thing ever. We were talking, oh, my God, like nine in a row, I think it was, or something crazy that he was doing against the Marlins. And then the fifth inning hit, and it just imploded. Um, and sometimes that just happens. Sometimes life just just hits you, you know? And, uh, you know, when when life serves you lemons, you throw them, hopefully, they're, and they're better than your changeup, you know? But uh, not that day. I uh, it's, it's something where Aaron Nola, I think, is was the product a lot of, um, some bad luck, but also the fact that his changeup wasn't quite the savior it needed to be. And I do think that was the missing element that would have prevented this 4-6-3 ERA from Nola. I have him now at 19. I've already raised him for my way too early ranks. Um, I'm looking at the the other guys that went, Carlos Rodon, Julia Urias, Freddie Peralta, Kevin Gaussman, Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, and Max Fried all went before your next pick. Um... It's going to be really tough to figure out exactly where to put Nola because all of those have great arguments that they should be going above Nola. I mean, Max Fried is going to get the playoff tax after throwing mm-hmm. 98 down or wherever that crazy was in that World Series game six. Um, and it's hard not to feel a little bit better about Max Fried now. Uh, it's oof, it's going to be close. And I guess I'll say if I, I would have taken Riley and then taking whatever was left in the six. But then again, you have to have a wherewithal knowing that all those guys are going to not go. It's a hard situation. So you went with your gut, Aaron Nola. I don't see any problem with that, Adam Howe. Uh, sixth round, Javier Baez. You say, okay, you know what? I got to get my backups now. Or, of course, <laughs> you can talk about second base being Baez. That's likely what this is. Uh, walk me through what you see for 2022 Javier Baez. Yeah, it's Javier Baez is definitely my second baseman in this in this situation. Um, it is nice to have the dual eligibility, obviously, as we talked about earlier, um, being able to back him up. And I think uh, you know I was talking again talking to Kevin Hastings about this. Get on out of pod. here! Yeah, <laughs> weird. <laughs> uh, but like one of the focuses, especially especially in a head to head league, um, is it always has been a strategy of mine. Um, but I think it's really been a focus of this, this past year as well for a lot of people is maximizing as many at bats as you can, especially in a week to week basis. Um, and to have the ability to kind of not necessarily have to throw a bunch of hitters on my bench, which 
unfortunately I did in this draft, uh, but they'll be dropped in this fictional league uh, early on in the season is being able to move a guy on Mondays and Thursdays specifically, make sure I have as many guys in those lineups as possible. Or when I have somebody who's sit randomly getting a day off, I'm able to move and pretty much anybody in any any situation um, that I want. So I can move Javi Bears off a second into short, move somebody else into second base, which well, we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and having that flexibility, I mean, this is this is again not breaking news this is not a breaking news strategy uh but it is definitely something that was uh in my mind as i was making these picks so as far as Baez goes another guy who i'm just very curious to see where he ends up landing um and it goes to the adage too that anybody who's willing to pay for javi Baez is probably contending probably going to be a mainstay in a very good lineup um i you know this is came after the fact but you know, the White Sox need a second baseman now. They did not uh, take Cesar Hernandez, uh, his option. They they declined his option there. So they have a clear hole at second base. Uh, there, there's obviously a couple other teams. Um, you know, the Dodgers could, ha- could have a need for a second baseman if they don't re-sign Seager and they move Turner over to shortstop. So there's some good teams who need a second baseman or have the possibility of needing a second baseman. Baez seems open to obviously playing second base, obviously being a shortstop for the last couple of years. Um, he'd probably prefer that, um, but if they're paying him, I don't think he cares um, per se. And this is a five-category um, option with the 70th overall pick in a position that you alluded to. It is I think it's actually deeper than you will, that you made it sound, but the problem is, is that the high-end options at second base, like Mookie Betts, like Trey Turner – aren't necessarily going to be drafted as second baseman in your leagues. You're going to end up putting them into different positions. So um, I, again, also a position I didn't want to have to deal with later on and having the added flexibility of moving him around with that kind of production. He's probably not going to move out of my second base spot though, based on that production in that spot. Um, that's to say that, you know, there are obviously some other options out there around this time. I think I uh, forgot when Max Muncy went a little bit later than he probably should have. I know you've talked about him a couple times. Oh, I love um, Max Muncy in the sixth round. That was such yeah. a good pick by Chase. So obviously also a good pick with the added flexibility of, you know, being put into first base, which like you said, that is a little bit deeper than you thought, but still the high end options at first base aren't, aren't all that there. Um, mm-hmm. So that also would have been, that was also a consideration of mine there. Uh, but I did like, actually, no, Max Muncy already went. So I was not considering him. Um, Jose Abreu, though, did go in the seventh, and that's something we can talk about with your next pick. But with uh, Javier Baez, um, he's kind of Tyler O'Neill, but later a little bit. Um, okay. If you want to talk about across the board, I mean, 31 home runs last year, 18 stolen bases. That's uh, not so far off. I mean, obviously, Tyler O'Neill is better for multiple reasons. One, um, runs in RBI production. Two, uh, more power in there. But it's, it's okay. You're getting... Oh, that's three, uh, five category guy potential um, with Tatis, O'Neal, and Baez that you've drafted. One point I will make, you brought up the the White Sox and the Dodgers, and I do agree that in most cases where if it's a big free agent and they sign somewhere, it's for, for a competing team. I'm wondering how the lineups would shape up with Baez in there. Would he be in the top half or the bottom half of those respective lineups? And I don't know. Um, but I can get a I can get a feeling that like six seventh might be in the cards if you were on those teams, which would of course uh, diminish the uh, the runs in RBI production. Something to think about a little bit with with Baez. Um, but you're right. I mean, 
he's a really good second base option in this in the sixth round. I uh, we kind of forget that he's still really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he had a nice September with the Mets. Uh, there was a lot of talk of just how annoying he was: thirty four percent strikeout rate, twenty one percent swing strike rate. Like we look at these things, and we go, "Yeah, this, these aren't good." But at the end of the day, he gives you at least four categories, and maybe two sixty five average is con- going to continue to fall. You know, we are tainted by the 2020 season that was just bad. But, yeah, Baez clearly is a solid player still. And uh, six-round value is pretty good. Yeah, I I agree that you need to keep an eye on where he's going. He was batting sixth plenty with the Mets. Um, He Mm. was batting fifth and sixth the majority of the time that he was in New York. Um, And so if he is going to, if he ends up going to a team that already has established a top four, um, there's a strong possibility he could get bumped down just to kind of even out those lineups. But if you go to a place like Seattle, who is an up and coming team who needs that, um, you know, that presence, uh, he has a more of an opportunity. So it, it will be something to monitor for sure. You know, you sound like I, uh, you sound like my, my Christmas when I was young when uh, I need more presents. Uh, so, all right. I'm just joking. I got, I was oh, a spoiled kid. Um, seventh round actually surprised me. Considering that you did get Tatis Jr. and you got O'Neill and you got Baez, what do all these guys have in common? Multiple things, but they all do steal bases. I was shocked to see that you decided, you know what, I'm going to still go after Aldebarto Mondesi, considering he is really the stolen base guy. 15 stolen bases in just 35 games this year, 24 and 59 in 2020, and 43 and 102 in 2019. We know that he's very effective when he's healthy, uh, but it's really that stolen base play and seventh round i what are you what is your thought process when you're trying to fill out your team here so modesty is not a guy i would normally go after um it's definitely not you know where you've seen him go in the last couple years you know there's always somebody in every league that pulls them into the third round fourth round maybe at the latest um you know not somebody i would normally want to put all my eggs into that basket the, the thing is, the way my roster is currently constructed, I have there's very little risk involved in Mondesi on this roster. Um, now, if I didn't have, you know, my flexibility with Baez at second and shortstop with Tatis at shortstop and outfield eligibility um, and I, you know, I, I mitigate this risk even more with some future picks. I don't go after Mondesi in that situation. But the fact is that Mondesi is probably not he's filling in a utility spot for me it at this pick um and what he everybody knows what he can do um at 75 overall like this is this is a situation where i felt comfortable with him also because i'm not putting a lot of pressure on him to you know carry my team in in that category i talked about this on a, a preseason episode of on the wire last year like i i know that if i end up if I know myself, if I pick Mondesi early or somebody like Mondesi, who's going to give you the, you know, could give you the 20 to 40 stolen bases early in my mind, I've got stolen bases locked up. I don't have to worry about them anymore. And I won't. Um, and so if I pick a guy like this later, when I've already kind of chipped away at the category and it gives me the opportunity to win that category plus others in any given week in a head to head league, I'm perfectly fine with that. Mondesi yeah. is a, is a, is a league winner in in head-to-head playoff scenarios um and that's majority of my uh decision making here was as long as Mondesi is there in September I'm I'll I'll deal with the the rest of the regular season 
Okay. I I understand that argument. Uh, Jose Abreu was there in the seventh. That's mm-hmm. really my only I, I, the sore thumb here is that you don't really have that first baseman at the moment. And there is a guy that's just, I think he's a step up uh, relative to the other options. Cal Schwarber, Ryan Mountcastle, Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone, P- uh, Brandon Belt, Jared Walsh, Fado, etc. Brayu, class of his own there right, to me. Um, and considering you talked about Mondesi as a utility bat, as kind of a flex in a, uh, he's not a flex, you know, but sure. he's a, is is just more of a luxury. Um, Abreu would have, I think, really taken a step forward, and I have to think that you considered him here. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I kind of I knew that if I didn't pick Abreu here, I was going to have to wait a little bit longer on first base and kind of take what was dropped to me, which is. What ultimately ended up happening. Something small to, that I considered with Mondesi, though, is he had 20 games at third base last year. So he'll gain mm. in pretty much every platform. He'll have third base eligibility. And more than likely, he's going to play a majority of the games this year at third base um, it, it is what I'm is what I'm assuming. Um, and so to have that backup again, that roster flexibility to have that backup third baseman um, that that helps. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Dylan Cease, eighth round here as he went back to the pitching well. Uh, let's see. We have Jose Barrios, Shane McClanahan, Fernando DeCimantas, Kerlin Kershaw, a, Alec Manoa, and Joe Musgrove going before Dylan Cease. And after was Shoei Otani, the pitcher, Logan Webb, Yu Darvish, Lance McCullers Jr., Charlie Morton, Pablo Lopez. So Cease, a lot of, uh, a lot of volatility, a lot of excitement and do you think a lot of the good is going to come instead of the bad next year? Yeah, ultimately, I, I see this as somebody who Dylan Cease was a you know highly touted prospect coming up. He had his issues. Um, he still, like, like you alluded to, he still has his issues, especially with his command um, at the major leagues. But now he's shown that he can be that workhorse for the White Sox and he can he can. He has a possibility of, you know, going all the way up to 200 innings next year. Um, I, again, I, I'm not necessarily worried about the volume in a head-to-head league per se, but in any given week, he's also a guy who can get me 10 strikeouts. Um, he can go six innings um, and he can put himself in a position to get that win. And on a very, obviously at a very good White Sox team in a not so great division in the American, in the American league central, uh, this is somebody else I had a lot of places last year. Um, and this kind of continues my theme of picking all the same pitchers I had last year, just 10 or 15 <laughs> rounds earlier <laughs> than I had to get them last year. Um, I, I see a lot of potential in Cease um, to make continue to make those moves. Um, you know, he has, you know, it's nice that Grandal should be healthy for the majority of the season and he can, you know, be that, that, the catcher behind the plate that's going to be able to help not only cease, but you know, that entire road, that entire rotation with his, you know, they don't have robo yet. So, you know, framing is still a thing. Um, and so I, I believe that there's just a lot of opportunity there to kind of make that jump. And I, you know, I, I can't see why he won't be a top 100 pick um, throughout most drafts. And I think you're going to see a lot more hype around him going into drafts later on in March, especially if he has a, you know, a strong spring training. Yeah. Dylan Cease. Oh, I want to love this. I really do. I, <laughs> I, what I liked listening to you throughout the season is just like your evolution on how you view Dylan Cease. We talked about Dylan Cease. I was the only one that drafted Dylan Cease of the four mock drafts that we did last year. Mm-hmm. And 
you uh, of the four leagues. And so you gave me a little bit of flack for that at the time. You weren't a fan. Um, doesn't sound like you're a huge fan at this point now. No, but listening to listening to you talk on first pitch, it was interesting to hear you say like, like kind of like it was very gradual, and it was kind of nice to kind of like see you come around and be like, this is what we want to see. Well, okay, first four games this year, he didn't go five innings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was just uh, more inefficiencies, three walks in each of those games, and it it was just yeah, all right. You exist. And I can imagine actually, you, you know, exist. after <laughs> after the first four games, I can imagine people thinking I'm not I'm I shouldn't be holding on to this anymore. You know, you drafted Dylan Seas outside the top three hundred. First game shows up, three walks, three strikeouts, three hundred runs and four point two innings. And it's just you didn't really feel like you needed to hold on to this and this wasn't worth chasing. And I completely understand that. Over time, what Dylan sees learned was the ability to command a slider down and into lefties and say keep it away from righties. Essentially in that same pocket all the time, which is pretty much where you always want to throw sliders unless you're trying to throw a strike. And 39% CSW is nothing to ignore uh, from Dylan Cease's slider. Uh, that was a six-point hike from last year. Swing strike rate jumped seven ticks as well. And now... Uh, I want to think that this is always going to be around now. And for the entire season, he pretty much had that start to start. The question is always fastball and curveball. One of you got to show up, please. Mm-hmm. Just please. I need one of you to get strikes on a given day. Most of the time, I want to say it was a fastball just getting enough, a 66% strike rate for the season on it. And when that worked, when he had those two, then okay, everything is fine. He would have those 10 strikeout performances out of nowhere. And it was great. Or then when it wasn't there, it was, oh, it's five innings of 300 runs and six strikeouts. Or, oh, it's 2.2 innings of 700 runs and five walks, and this is terrible. And I want to think that he's taking the small steps. It's easy for us to kind of look at the whole per- per- trajectory of his career and go, oh, this is the moment where he did this and that. And it's not always like that. I don't know if he's just in rhythm for a full season and has that going. But, yeah, I mean... Eighth round, you're surrounded by all these other guys that have warts, too. I have come around more on Logan Webb, so I see him in the ninth, and I'm like, all right, fine. But I certainly was not at this point. Um, So I, you know, if you have any different feelings now, I have the same thing, so I have no criticisms whatsoever there. Um, The other thought is there are some other guys, maybe Lance McCullers Jr., you could say, Charlie Morton, um maybe you know if you're talking about a volatile guy with high upside i mean there's you darvish uh four picks later um those are the other ones to consider but yeah dylan c should be going right around this time i i don't really have any problem with this i don't think any of us anticipate a four era season next from cease we all see the 124 whip and think okay that walk rate can come down from 10 percent. he should get better and better can turn into a three-year era with a 110 whip pretty quickly um, if that next thing is tweaked and fixed and improved upon and a $1 million man or whatever he is, I don't remember the thing. <laughs> it was a $10 million, $5 million, whatever. It's a lot of millions, and he's a man of it. <laughs> uh, we'll so, that. so That's Dylan Cease in the eighth round. Did you have anything you wanted to add there about Cease, How? 
And no, I think that nothing about C's. I mean, I think I, I probably could or should have considered Logan Webb. Um, he did go around the turn. Um, and so he was one of the three you mentioned, Otani, uh, Darvish, who went right after. Uh, Webb would have been somebody that I would have considered. I, I think just my history of, of rostering Dylan C's in multiple leagues, not only last year, but in you know my dynasty league, I've had him come up. So a lot of my picks are like Robbie Ray as well have like when I have a tiebreaker, I usually go back to my home dynasty league and whether or not I've been rostering these guys on that team or not. Uh, so I want to be able to uh, convince myself that that was the right pick, if nothing else. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I understand, too. It's also the first week of October and right. we don't really know that much. We haven't done our research. You're going to lean on the guys that you feel you know more about. And that makes perfect sense. Um, I like this pick ninth round. And now with Abreu and Schwarber off the board, uh, you had to get a first baseman, and you went Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, how excited were you getting this pick? This is not a player I would I was ever considering mm. myself drafting going into going into this year. And it was funny. It's like the more I, it got to a point in the draft too where I was like, "Art, right, that's right. I didn't pick Jose Abreu. I didn't get Austin Riley when I wanted him. I need a first baseman. What do I do?" So I, you know, really started looking into it a little bit more, and I was. When I I came across Mountcastle and what he had been doing in Baltimore, um, and especially in the second half of the season, I was ecstatic to be able to get him here. I think he's going to end up moving up boards um, a little bit more, um, especially with dual eligibility of first base and outfield, um, which obviously is not a rare commodity per se, but it is nice to have that flexibility um, as many people alluded to like you can fill first base throughout the season. So it's nice to know if somebody comes along on free agency or on the wire, like a Frank Swindell or, you know, what have you, um, I can feel comfortable grabbing them um, moving and then moving him into my outfield if, if, if necessary. Um, but I mean, 33 home runs throughout the season. It helps that he's in Baltimore um, in the summertime that that doesn't hurt at all. But what I, what I liked, especially in the second half, from the trade deadline on, he led all first basemen with home runs, um, with 17. Um, so that's obviously more than Jose Abreu, more than you know anybody else. And, and it's not that the trade deadline itself uh, played a factor in it per se. The Baltimore wasn't exactly very active. Um, no, they, didn't, they were not. <laughs> it just so happens those last two. It, it helps again. Baltimore in August is not exactly a uh, a bad place to be when you want to hit home runs. Yeah, I was about to say because I'm used to it. As a pitching fan, it's a terrible place. <laughs> Come on, Adam. Well, we got to look at it from all angles, Nick. No! What um, angle? But what's interesting here is that I talk about, <laughs> I've talked about this a lot already in the podcast, but I, like, I wanted Riley. I wanted Austin Riley. He has first base eligibility, third base eligibility um, in Yahoo. Um, and I look back and look at the draft. And if I had drafted Riley where I drafted Nola and then drafted a pitcher in this round it would have been somebody like lance mccullers or even charlie morton so a pair like i'm a, i'm questioning whether or not an austin riley plus charlie morton or mccullers pairing is better or worse than a nola um plus round right. castle pairing which is a which is a really good question to ask yeah and i don't i don't really know if that's better or worse um i think i would lean riley and mccullers more personally um I mean, I like Mount Castle a lot. I think you'll see him around this time, 9 to 11 or so. 
I mean, again, I'm bad at predicting ADP, so who knows? Uh, but 33 home runs last year for Mountcastle, 89 RBI, 77 runs. He's going to be in the middle of that Orioles lineup. You can say whatever you want about the lineup. It should be getting better. Yes, And being in the middle of a lineup means that you will get production. <laughs> who cares what team it is? Jesus Aguilar had over 100 RBI. Like, this is who cares? Uh, 255 average. We don't really expect that to be so much more. I do think there is more potential. Um, in double A, triple A, we're talking 300 averages, uh, for Mountcastle, but we saw a 16% swing strike right now and a 28% K rate, hopefully with more time because yeah, Mountcastle is young. He's going to be 25 next year. There is certainly more opportunity here. So I certainly think you got the last, I mean, maybe, yeah, I think Mountcastle was the best first baseman on the board. Um, there's a part of me that wants to give a seal of approval because I do think it was a necessary pick for you. And I would be very excited going after Mountcastle. Here I am talking about a breakout season and being in on it because it's the ninth round, not the third round. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also wonder if he's going to, you know, I generally think, like to give seals of approvals for getting a guy in a round where it's later on than n- normal or something I'm absolutely targeting. And that's why I haven't given you one yet because it's just been, yeah, that's a good pick. That's where but that not, guy's going to go. Right, sure. Right, and I'm I'm cool with that one, but not like, oh, man, I can't believe you got that somewhere. And maybe I could give it to, like, Robbie Ray at the end of the fourth, and that that's, will be something that I would like to do. Um, but none of these otherwise are, like, that exceptional. So that's not, it's kind of the same thing with that castle. But, yeah, you, you you know, I could give one here, and that would be cool. I don't know. You want it? It's like a. I'm not begging for it. No, 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 no. I want. It's like searching for Bobby Fisher. You know, (laughs) you want the certificate. Here you go, Josh. Wait, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, Ben Kingsley kills it. Anyway, (laughs) um, tenth round is Tyler Molly. As we are definitely going to go along on this podcast. I'm just going to say it twice because we're like way over an hour, and we're nine (laughs) picks in. Um, Tyler Molly. So we're going to speed through this now. Okay. So you have, do you have a list of pitchers that you are actually like referencing or using yourself? That is like, okay, these are the ones I want. Just leave me like a a targets list. I am kind of curious if there are other ones you're thinking about in this area. Yeah. In this area. I mean, the, one of my targets was my next pick, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and it's sunny gray. Somebody I was considering around here as well. Um, but honestly, I don't love to live in this area for pitchers. Um, I know you do. How dare uh, you, Adam? This is like this is your like fun. home this turf. Is, oh my! What? I I, is, I, oh, I don't I don't like no. it. I mean, <laughs> what do you What do you want to do instead? What are, What are you trying to do instead in this time? At the, I'm no at this time like I I'm trying to do exactly what I did. I ended up pairing Tyler Molly with uh, another again my four, he's my SP four in this scenario. He's got. All the strikeout upside with none of the control. So, you know, very similar none to the Cease. Um, and in Cincinnati, obviously, you know, not not lovely. Um, and you talk about the splits with Tyler Molly is one of the very few home home road splits you actually, you know, pay attention to um, or at least put yeah, a lot of credence into because like they were so extreme. One outside of cores. But even right. with cores guys, Marquez and Gray, they were weird inside of course too. It was yeah, Molly was the one guy. But like the guys that went around Molly, I don't like there's the there's so much less trust I have into what they will do next year based on what solely based on what they did this year. So Luis Garcia went right after Ranger Suarez went right after um, follow later on. Shane Boz is an interesting one. Sonny Gray. I'm a fan of as well. Um, so Sonny Gray might've been in the mix there. 
Uh, I ended up going with Molly uh, for the, you know, the pure upside potential of what he he's, he's always thought he could do if he kind of puts it together as far especially with the control. Um, even without the control, he's still racking up strikeouts. Um, and again, pairing them up with Dylan C's, Robbie Ray and Aaron Nola strikeouts, not going to be something that I'm literally considering any given week. So as I'm streaming uh, throughout the rest of the regular season, I'm streaming probably middle relievers um, and, and guys that are going to be chipping away at my ratios, making up for the fact that Tyler Molly is on my roster. Um, so that Tyler Molly was a pretty decent target of mine at this point. So it's actually really interesting. Yeah. Dylan sees Tyler Molly. Uh, a lot of people I think will compare the two similar ERAs. It was 391 for, for C's 375 for Molly. You have near the same strikeout rates, hovering 30%, 25 to 30%. Nearly the same whip, 123 for Molly, 124 for, for Cease. Now you're going to ask, okay, Nick, so then why is Molly going after Cease? They're like the same guy. They're not. Molly, I think, is pretty capped. Um, he will innately be a little bit volatile. It's a, it's a fastball that can be really good on a given night, but he isn't always... You know, he used to have excellent command on it. Then it wasn't as good this past year. Uh, the slider is not an elite pitch either. It helps, certainly. It's definitely come uh, improved over the years. But it's not... I don't really see what gets so much better for Tyler Molly. While with Dylan Cease, I think it's a lot clearer. You have the best pitch of the two of them. You can Well, maybe you could say Molly's fastball. But no, really the slider is a true elite pitch from Dylan Cease. And there is hint. there are hints that... There can be more from Cease from the fastball and curveball over time that then really pushes him up. So uh, there, it's very important to understand the makeup of these guys and 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 grasping, uh, you know what they do, how they get their outs. Um, not to mention, Tyler Molly is not an IPS guy. Uh, 180 innings, 33 starts. You can do quick math to know that 180 over three or divide by three, 18 over three is is six. So that's a well under six IPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dylan Cease has that opportunity. Tony Larusa, you know he, you know he's gonna let Cease throw. Right. Um, that that's the White Sox way. So that that's the comparison there. Tyler Molly, though, tenth round. I don't think he's gonna hurt you. You know, he's part of the core four that I talk about. Of yeah, you're not gonna drop Tyler Molly, Tyler Molly through the year. Uh, you're gonna get not the greatest ratios, but you're not gonna drop it. So yeah, good stuff. I'm cool with it. Um, I mean, really. There aren't, I think he was like the last of that crew for me. Um, well, yeah, 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 pretty much. I think he's in a tier that, the last of a tier. So, solid stuff there. Uh, is it seal of approval? Yeah, I think so. I think it considers the last one there. That's a seal of approval. Uh, 11th round, Jose Arquiti. This one I'm going back and forth about. Um, and I want you to express why he was a target for you. So, like I talked about before, I'd like pairing my picks when I can. And this was a little handcuff to Tyler Molly mm. um, between his, you know, basically a ratio a handcuff to Molly's, you know, strikeout upside. And that's not to say that Urquidy, I don't think has strikeout upside. Um, I think he kind of showed that with, with the amount of volume that he could put together, assuming health going into next year, which I think he's shown, by coming back at the end of the season and, you know, pitching throughout the playoffs in high leverage games in the World Series, you know, he's healthy. He, he'll be definitely be healthy 100% going into spring training. I mean, he had 107 innings pitched before his injury um, in 2021. Um, and, you know, it's 13 starts to begin the season and 0.96 whip, 
a 3.32 ERA with a 3.87 FIP. You know, he still had 22% strikeout rate, which I'm not worried about strikeout rate at this point based on my roster that I've, I've put together with the other four guys on my rotation. But that 4% walk rate in the, in the start of the season, those things are going to like obviously help. You know, like this is a guy that has the control where Molly does not. It's like literally if I could combine these two pitchers together, <laughs> um, I have two very good pitchers. Um, and it, with the ability to bench Molly in a home start, if I don't don't like the the matchup um, uh, that he's going to present himself this week, where Urquidy, I can't imagine benching him pretty much ever, regardless of who his opponent's going to be, because what I'm trying to get out of him is the ratios. And if he gives me enough innings to, you know, he had eight of those 13 starts at the beginning of the year, he went six innings or longer. Uh, so he had total 76 in- innings in those first 13 starts. He can volume himself into more strikeouts. Um, and in his rehab starts, they looked really good. Like he didn't walk anybody. Uh, he had a bunch of strikeouts in those as well. Obviously, Triple A, double A, what have you, but um, this is a definite handcuff to my um, control, control concerned starters that I had um, in my rotation. Yeah, I, you know, Urquidy over sixty percent strike rate in all four of his pitches on um, this past year, and it's pretty much always been that case. Uh, the slider not like fifty one percent in two thousand nineteen, but then you know became a much better pitch uh, in future years. It's I want him to become that true ace and master all four of his pitches. Um, I, I think we saw this year that he didn't quite get into the groove that we've seen in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, when he came up, it was more of the changeup was the pitch and it kind of turned more into the slider and the curveballs shown some promise as well. Uh, the fastball, I think, got away with a little bit this year. Uh, 237 BABIP is just not going to stick around, I think, for uh, for Urquidy. Uh, there's a reason why he had an ex- expected ERA 387 this year. It's uh, uh, He's not going to have a one whip. I'll tell you that. He's essentially had a one whip over the last 140 innings or so, uh, which is crazy. Urquidy's 2020 versus in 2021 equals a one whip. Nuts. That's, I don't think, the case because he had to have a sub-230 Babbitt or whatever to get there. And I, I I do like the fact the Astros are going to let him start, and I don't think the ratios will hurt you. Um, but, yeah, it's a question of, is he just a Toby? Is he going to be like a 20% strikeout rate guy with ratios? Or is he actually going to take that leap back up to being a 25% K rate guy? Um, and that slider has taken a, a, a downturn on swing striker from 20% to 15%. And the changeup might be that swing strike rate pitch. But we really need to see something in his secondary stuff to really take that leap for him to be hinting at that 25% strikeout rate again. So I do like Urquidy. Uh It's not that I, you know, I don't think he'll help you. I think he will. I think the ratios will be good enough. But it is a question of... If the strikeout rate isn't there, which, again, you, you paired it. You're saying you have four strikeout guys. I don't need that. And if I have really good ratios, that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense for you. Um, there's always a feeling, though, when you don't strike out a lot of guys, the margin of error gets lower. And how much control does he truly have over what is put into play? The, the, the very low babs the past two years are certainly messing us up a little bit uh, as far as our calibration of what to expect. Um, and uh, I wonder if... The four ERA, 120, 125 whip season is uh, what the probability of that is. But 
I think 11th round, I mean, Chris Bassett's probably the only one that I would mm-hmm. say if you wanted that instead that I would be going for. Because the other guys, Shane Boz, Marcus Stroman, Sonny Gray, they all those guys have question marks and stuff. You don't really know what you're going to get there. And Moss Green, no, Justin Verlander, Mike Clevenger, Eovaldi Anderson. I would probably have fun. I'd probably have gone for Mike Clevenger and just go for the home run. Because, like, what what the heck? You have your four already taken, and this is your fifth. This is your fifth starting. Just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, I had, I had a fun pick later. I had a fun pick later. <laughs> uh, do you? Do you, Okay, I, I see one in the 16th round. Is that, oh, you took one in the 17th. Oh, that's a fun one. That's a fun <laughs> one. All right. Well, that's Jose Urquidy. Um, is there anything you want to add on Urquidy before we move on? No, he's just a complete ratio play for sure. Yep. Um, see, that's all I should have said. Uh, <laughs> because, again, we are going so long on this. Oh, my God. What am I doing? All right. No more pitchers. Good for four rounds, essentially. Bobby go. Wood Jr. Oh, there's a fun one. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Talk to me about Bobby Witt. Well, I need another shortstop. Um, oh, yeah. Of so course I, you do. You need your fourth one. <laughs> now, this is, I mean, I honestly, this is about where Kellenek was going last year in drafts um, as the expected top prospect that's going to be called up early in the season. Um, and so I thought, if nothing else, this was like, if I was going to, if I was going to grab him, this was the time to grab him. Nobody else. There's nobody on the board. Um, please correct me if you see somebody that has the ceiling that Bobby Witt does at this point in the draft, um, especially in a middle infield position. He's obviously, if he comes, if he comes up and he, you know, he will be playing shortstop for Kansas city. I I truly believe that. I don't think they're going to move him out into the outfield. I think he'll bump Mondesi over to third base. Um, And, I mean, he was essentially a 30-30 player last year. He was, he did, I double-checked it. I thought he was, I was very confident he was 30-30. He missed out on stolen bases by one. Uh, so he was like a 32-29 guy last year between double-A and triple-A. And he, like, he literally split his season in half. He did not miss a beat in triple-A. He played 61 games at double-A, 62 at triple-A. Uh, he lowered his strikeout rate when he m- bumped up to triple-A uh, to 22.5% had a 9% walk rate. So this is a guy who he can hit. And he, I, I don't think we're going to see, and this is just me probably just holding out hope, but like we're not going to see the same kind of struggles that we saw at a Kellenic to the extreme. Now, do I think he's going to come out and be a 30-30 guy next year at the major league level? No, I don't think so. But the fact that now I have another guy who will steal bases on a Kansas City team who loves to steal bases because they have the guys on their team that have that ability to do so, um, who can still, you know, get close to that 2025 home run rate, uh, even at the major league level. I mean, I'm very confident in this spot. I think he's going to jump up draft boards as we get closer to the season. I don't think I'm going to get him at 142. Um, I don't think anybody will. So I was very happy to see him this late in the game. Oh, man. Seal of approval. Ta-da. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get Bobby Wood Jr. at this point. You're gonna He's going to have a spring training. I uh, that oh hey right Bobby Witt remember how excited we were last year and so he was supposed he to wasn't. start yeah everybody thought he was gonna start yeah, he was gonna break opening didn't. day yeah also CBA stuff lockout all that fun stuff we'll see how that changes service time issues and that might mean Bobby Witt goes up really quickly so yeah absolutely uh, you should be considering Bobby Witt Jr. I uh, I I had a pick of Reese Hoskins in the eleventh round and I think there are three guys that you took. Uh, in the next, like, in your 12, 14, 15, that I all would have taken instead of my stupid <laughs> Reese Hoskins pick in the 11th round. So, I, Bobby Witt is certainly one of them. So, you get a seal of approval there. Um, definitely 
yeah, everyone monitor this. Haha. Uh-huh. If you listen to the last on the corner with Fast and Me, I or I guess I don't know, like four podcasts ago. <laughs> monitor this. Um, and thirteenth uh, round, you said, "Oh wait, I don't have a closer," and I still might not. Uh, yeah, we- you might not. It's Mark Melanson. Uh, yeah, you you essentially looked at it and said, "Uh oh." And he could have had Giovanni Gallegos, which was absurd in the 13th round. Like, crazy good. One of the highest seals of approvals I've given. Um, but you went with Mark Melanson. Mark Melanson was the the last guy that I felt any kind of confidence that he will be the closer, regardless of whether or not he's in San Diego or not. He's just Outside he's, of Gallegos. Uh, yeah. I mean, Gallegos, I like Gallegos. I don't know that we'll see Gallegos in that role all season, though. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced of that that that, that situation um, with St. Louis giving him the job with Jordan Hicks coming back next year. Alex Reyes, who we'll get to a little bit later, might be you know he might be stretched out into that starting uh, role. Yeah, we he don't might know. stay in the bullpen. Jordan we don't... Hicks might be yeah, a exactly. starter too. Yeah. So I'm not convinced. It, so if I'm not going to go with those top tier closers that we talked about earlier, Liam Hendricks, Hader, what have you, like the only, re- the only relievers I want at the mid in these mid rounds are going to be guys that I'm somewhat confident or more than somewhat confident. They will have the role and they will have the role all year round. I'm Lanson, I don't think news has come out whether or not uh, his, his mutual option has been declined or taken on. Um, but I think that there's a chance that he does not, he wants to get paid a little bit more and doesn't, doesn't go with it. So there's a chance he's a free agent. Technically, I still think he finds a way to go on a team, even if he just comes back to San Diego on a different contract and he takes that role. He's just been that guy. Like you don't think he's going to be, you don't think he should be, but he finds a way. Yeah, he's he going to be 37 next year, Mark Melanson. And what do you know? 223 ERA, 122 whip. He got his saves, 39 of them for the Padres last year. I mean, yeah, he's still doing it. So 13th round ain't so bad. That's fine. If you if you get another closer, that's great there. Um, you have Jorge Soler in the 14th round. I mean, seal of approval, my God. I was so upset <laughs> seeing Jorge Soler at this point because I love him. This was before the, you know his playoff run and his MVP in the, in the World Series. Just so we all know, playoff tax absolutely is going to affect Jorge Soler. There's no chance you get him in the 14th round. Uh, I it, it's it's crazy to me. I mean, yeah, sure, 27 home runs, 223 average. Second half was better for Jorge Soler, if I remember correctly. And the the sense of that 48 home run season 2019 is still there. Uh, were you thrilled with this pick? Oh, absolutely. And this is obviously before the playoff tax. Right. You could, you know, like he's, he, 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 he matched his counting stats in Atlanta with a hundred less at bats. Like, <laughs> like than he had in Kansas city. Um, I mean, this is still a guy who belted over 40 home runs just two years ago in the last full season that we saw. Um, you know, he has solar power. Like, this is, you know, what you draft him for. He's going, he's also a free agent. You know, we'll like to see where he ends up going. I, you know, what I could see Solar doing is I could see him, even with the playoff tax, I could see him um, signing like a one-year deal somewhere or even a, a short-term deal just to show that he can get back up to that 40-plus home run, um, mm. you know, 250 or so average, and kind of like even bring his stock even higher uh, for a bigger payday. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with the CBA and you know what, what's going on there and what you know when he'll actually sign. But like with Gallo off the board, you know who else did I leave? Who else is out there? Um, you know Adam Duvall, Hunter Renfro, AJ Pollock was still out there, Adolis Garcia. 
Um, yeah, this, this is this yeah. was stupid good. It, it, I, I love this chance, and again, 14th round now. Well, not again, but you know this from what I say often is I do the Miss Frizzle method. You know, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. It applies to hitters and pitchers. 14th round is about the time when you start doing that. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You move on. There aren't so many slam dunks at this point um, that you feel like you truly lost value. There are some pitchers that I think like, oh, yeah, you're not going to want to drop Logan Gilbert, Josiah Gray, Tarek Scoobal, I don't think. But Torrey Soler, I mean, I think is just such an immense power bat. You should be thrilled with that one. Uh, 15th round, you got your catcher and Wilson Contreras, and this is going to be great. It's going to be the DH of the Cubs, and he's going to go all the playing time. And I saw this one. Why? Why did I do this? <laughs> 21 home runs, under 28 games, 237 average. Sure, whatever. But, like, you got a catcher that you are not going to get rid of through the entire year, Adam. Yeah. I mean, there's not, it's not a position I'm going to worry about all, all season long. Now, there's something to be said about the whole NLDH. I don't think it's going to affect catchers nearly as mm-hmm. much as I think a lot of people are talking about. But the exception will be Wilson Contreras because he's already right. shown in the shortened season when he's nationally this. DH, he's, they've given him the opportunity. Uh, he also shared time at the top of the order for the Cubs for the, a good chunk of last year. Not to say he was, he's their leadoff hitter of the future, uh, but he definitely could spend more time at the top of that order, which who's to say what you know the Cubs lineup is going to look like <laughs> come opening day. Uh, yeah, there's not really, honestly, there's not much to say. I was perfectly content honestly waiting until one of the last couple picks of the draft for my catcher in a single catcher league in a head-to-head. But when Contreras was here and I literally felt like I had no other holes to fill, it was kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a seal of approval, but it's pretty good. Sure. 50, you should be happy with uh, with the 15th round Contreras. Uh, the uh, uh, one thing to consider now, just keep in mind, we just got news, of course, this past week that Buster Posey is retiring. So Joey Bart is now more of an interesting option around this time we didn't have any consideration for that so he wasn't drafted but there it does raise the pool a bit there's also tyler stevenson now that tucker barnhart mm-hmm. is gone so it does change the value of Contreras a little bit because it does feel like oh there are some finally oh there are some interesting later options i catch her now which makes the value of uh Contreras drop a little bit just something to think about there um i'm trying to breeze through it so jordan montgomery in the 16th round i'm i'm going to keep my thing short so go for it. This is my SP6. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Montgomery. And the, the thing that I start looking at at this point, and I know you talk about this as well, is start looking at the schedule um, at the start of the season. Um, and the Yankees, uh, April, isn't that bad. Uh, they, do, they, have, they start off three at Texas. Um, and I'm assuming Montgomery will be in the top three stars. You don't think so? No. Um, like he, so he... He could skip that, and he will be at Houston after that. Um, but they faced off. They have three at Baltimore in April. Scares me a lot less than three at Baltimore in August, as we talked sure. about. Yeah. Um, they get Cleveland, they get Baltimore again, and they get Kansas City. So the the second half of April um, schedule for the Yankees isn't that bad. Um, it, it might actually be pretty good, uh, especially for a guy like Montgomery. Uh, who could take advantage of that. And I'll echo something you told me last year. It's like, you want to know what you're going to get early on in the season and whether or not this is going to be the guy that you want to move on from early or not. I think you're going to find out really quickly in the season whether or not Montgomery is that guy. Mm. I, you know, you might be right, actually. He might get that first season, first uh, first series. I apologize. I mean, the way that I see it is the Yankees are probably going to get one other starter that would probably leapfrog over Montgomery. 
And then Severino is a question mark because Tyone won't be back in time, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's where my head was. But yeah, he could be the third star. He could even be the second if they want to even slow down Severino. They don't get that guy. So I uh, we'll see. I uh, good point though, and really good point about the 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 schedule. Change up and curveballs everything with Montgomery. And when he's cruising with both of those pitches, he just needs to throw a fastball that doesn't get burned. It's a Cleveland approach. It's just he needs to be a little bit more efficient, I think, with a curveball and, and change. I've seen too many games where he throws too many waste pitches with them, and it bothers me immensely. Um, there's still another level and a gear for Montgomery to hit to actually be essentially a Toby with actual swing and strike rate stuff. So um, he has the, the the crafty approach, but I think there's another level. Oh, let's go to the 17th round. Ah, oh, he went so Here's early. The- you know, that that's the thing. The, the 17th round was Aaron Ashby. I'm uh, one of my favorite videos. I do these, of course, these YouTube videos of I uh, of pitching breakdowns through the seasons from the live stream that I do. Um, and I, uh, well, my favorites was like we need to just like watch these 21 pitches from Aaron Ashby. Like you need to know who he exists because he throws 97, and uh, he throws two second pitches slider and change it both for strikes. That's absurdly cool. Um, from the left side. Seventeenth round is like it to me feels like no this should be the should be like my my sleeper in the twentieth or something but this is probably where we're gonna have to see Aaron Ashby. Yeah, I mean again this is also he's my SP seven. I I went back and was writing up my notes for this and I realized like, I would rather probably draft Ashby over Jordan Montgomery. Ashby's mm. gonna be a guy regardless of his role for me he's gonna be really hard to drop throughout the course of the season because of what he does produced even in a middle reliever role um the the strikeout rate is there and as a middle reliever actually i i i have a feeling like he's just gonna have the ability to put up better ratios than he will if he starts getting stretched out as he's shown in the minors and he's made adjustments sure but he hasn't had the best control he's walked a lot of guys uh coming up in the minors so i wonder if he might retort to that but he's gonna be really difficult for myself to drop because i'm gonna want to see what he does throughout the course of the season. And I'm going to want Ashby's production come playoff time. Aaron Ashby, his slider, throws a 40% of the time. His batting average allowed on it, 0.75. No big deal. 59% (laughs) ground ball rate, just under 70% strike rate, 44.5% CSW. It's oh my oh my god! It, it, <laughs> it is such a good pitch. Changeup is great too. Uh, sixty-two percent strike rates. I thirty-three percent CSW. One six-seven batting average allowed. The question really is in that four-seamer, um, which really is a sinker, I should say. Um, as we've you know, the pitch classifications will change a bit next year. Make it clearer for everybody. Don't worry on our site. Um, but it got banged around. His fastball is combined for a 315 batting average allowed. That is the issue. But he's thrown at 9697. It is a 64% ground ball rate. I want to think that Ashby with more time on the hill develops more um and becomes you know, a soft contact machine with heaters and is just stupid hard to hit. Um how are the Brewers going to use him? We don't know. That's I it. know you mentioned that there's still value regardless. Um, I can guarantee you Ashby stocks will rise if there's any hint that Ashby's starting out of the gate for the Brewers. We don't know. Eric Lauer certainly put on a wonderful second half um, to showcase him being a fourth starter there. And then the fifth spot is anyone's guess, guess for that. So we'll see what happens. It might even bring up Ashby again in the weird way. He's going to be 24 on the 24th 
of May. So I, it's I. Oh man, I'm seeing his age right now. Ten years, essentially younger than me. My God, <laughs> it's like by two days. It, oh my lord! All right, Ashby, fine. Um, <laughs> but it's it's okay. It's all right. I've gotten over this, Adam. I'm sure you have at some point too. It's fine. I think for me it was when I, I was watching March Madness and I realized that everybody playing was younger than me. That was that was when I. Whew, well, I'm a, I'm a couple. I think I'm a couple years older than you, so I'm 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 on that line right now. I just turned 39, so it's like there are only I think three players in Major League Baseball um, that are oh, older, no. that are older than me. Like between, I think Nelson Cruz is just older than me. Rich Hill, if he resigns somewhere, so I'm, I'm almost, <laughs> it's almost there. I'm almost at that point where it's like literally nobody is oh, no. playing professional baseball. Adam. I'm going to bring back to Ashby here. It's going to be 24. Um, I'm really excited about his stuff. And if you really want to talk about like young raw stuff, guys, that just need more time, this is 100%. It should be on everybody's draft board. 17th round, as I've said, this is the point of just, you know, taking chances to make mistakes. Go get your guy. I'm totally, I'm happy for you and that you got him. Took Alex Wood just because I thought that he deserved more respect, but honestly, I would just wish I took Aaron Ashby. So, um, seal of approval. Uh, 18th round is Alex Verdugo, and Alex Verdugo's pretty good at baseball, isn't he, Adam? He he is. Um, I, I realized too as I was drafting all my headers, I didn't really draft anybody that's going to necessarily bring my average completely down. I didn't have like a weight on it, but I didn't have anybody that was really going to like stand out. So Verdugo is definitely a high batting average floor pick here with a 214th overall pick. Um, he spent most of 2021 in the two spot for Boston. So that's to say he did move down in the second half about late July um, to like the five, six, seven spots uh, for Boston. So that's not to say he won't move back up. Who's to say, and obviously that would help his counting stats. Um, but this is that point in the draft all last year. I was picking guys like Kyle Schwarber, Jesse Winker, like around the 200 book. This is, I kind of live in my outfield three, outfield four in five outfield leagues. Um, and so I really like this pick here from July 22nd on, which is when he moved down in the order on a regular basis through 231 plate appearances. He, he slashed 319, 368, 452 with a sub 20% K rate. Um, 45% hard hit rate per barrel, and also 33% hard hit rate per PA, which is very good. Um, yes. And so, like, he has the ability to hit the ball hard when he comes up to the plate, not necessarily just when he hits the ball, but, like, at right. any given time, a third of the time. Yeah, you'll be you'll be hearing a lot more about hard hit percentage over PA next year, I guarantee it. Yeah, and fifth best average of all outfielders in that time period. So this is a guy who's going to help me in that category, and in the Boston lineup is not going to hurt me in any any sort of counting categories. Yeah, he's a, he's a solid play. It's um it's not a home run play. So, and I mean that in both ways of mm-hmm. being a major swing one for you and of course 13 home runs in 446 games. So, if you are looking for runs and average later on, Verdugo is definitely someone you should be considering. Hey, a little bit of speed as well with six stolen bases last year. 19th round, you decided to get both of the young Cardinals guys and Dylan Carlson to compliment Tyler O'Neill. I remember there's a lot of debate about Carlson O'Neill. O'Neill, Carlson, yeah. Carlson O'Neill. <laughs> you know, um, Finkel and a Ninehorn. And uh, it's, you know, clearly Tyler O'Neill right now. Do you still see some hope for Dylan Carlson as he turns, well, he just turned 23 for mm-hmm. next year? Yeah, I mean, I think Carlson's making adjustments as he has throughout his minor league career as well as he's kind of moved up, struggled, made adjustments, 
and kind of uh, uh, kind of went forward. So I, I saw Carlson also as the leftover of the recent Alex Karloff, Joe Adele run of like prospects uh, or had maybe has prospect fatigue, didn't really kill it from their first time out, but you think that they still have something in, in the tank. Carlson is the only one of that three though that's been doing it consistently. He like, once he's up, he's been up um, and he's been making adjustments. So from August 1st on, he slashed 301, 364, 503, Brought his K rate um, around 25% through 185 plate appearances with 134 WRC RCA plus. Now I wrote in the, I wrote a lot about that in one of the la- last um, batter's boxes articles over at pitcher list. Um, he's not the reason why the Cardinals uh, went on their you know run at the end of the season, but he sure didn't hurt it. Um, and so in that last two months of the season, he really kind of brought it together. He also used the entire field all of his hits, home runs, double singles, you name it, went all over the field. Um, and so he, he's seeing the ball really well in at the second half of the year. I think he's going to be able to continue to build on that going to next year. I don't think you're ever going to get the stolen bases that were touted that he could bring to the table. He might chip in five. If you're really lucky, he's feeling really fast. He could maybe get to 10, but I, I don't, I didn't draft him for that for sure. I mean, yeah, Dylan Carlson's a great pick. 19th round, take some chances. I haven't seen enough of him yet. 24 years old. He's going to be actually a 23 year old season is the season. I should even say I uh, turns 24 in a full year from now. Uh, 18 home runs. Isn't anything to ignore too. in like your young year, uh, as you finally get playing time, you're saying he improved like, yeah, get Dylan Carlson, the 19th round. This is why we don't take outfielders early because there's Jorge Soler. Does Soler still have outfield eligibility? He's got to, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so they had him as a DH. I'm like, there's no way he doesn't. So, he has Solaire and Carlson. He can get some Verdugo in there. Like, this is fun. This is great. I don't feel the need to uh, go off and, and get all the, the other outfielders early because of this. Uh, yeah, I love this pick with Carlson. And I think you're going to see him a lot around this time. I think he gets pushed down from the other names that have done more in their time so far. And there's still kind of a wait for it. But. I mean, you can certainly attest to this. The The easiest position to fill in season is outfield. So this is where you do want to take a chance. Um, I generally take two outfielders in early-ish and then always wait on my third um, is, I think, the play. But I could even say one and then wait and get two later. I, I will push back on that and say that it is easy to fill in this format, in a three outfield format, in right. leagues that have five outfielders. Oh, absolutely that's so not. terrible. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> great, great call. Um, so, okay, last four picks here. Alex Reyes, as you mentioned up before, you hinted at it. You said, yeah, maybe he closes again for the Cardinals, and he got one. No, I actually drafted him thinking he might actually get stretched out um, oh, wow. as a starter. Now, it's that was a, so long. That was alluded to, Mike. Now, this is obviously coming from Mike Schilt. He said at the beginning of the season, the plan for Alex, for Duke, uh, for Alex, for Alex Reyes going into 2021 was to get him 100 innings out of the bullpen throughout the season. Uh, which he came close. He was like 70 some odd uh, innings um, and then stretch him out the following year to get him back into the road, get him into the rotation. So I, this was a complete like round 20 pick 238 overall. Like, yeah, right. And on top of that, I mean, this goes to the point before, like I'm going to know for sure at the very beginning of the season. And if he does get into that, he has a, a little bit of a cakewalk to start the season. The Cardinals face off against Pittsburgh, the Cubs, Pittsburgh again, Kansas City, and they get Milwaukee, but then they get Miami. They're going to Cincinnati. They play the Mets in Arizona to, to finish off if April. Is, so if he in is the, first the fifth month. there, it would be you would get the Cubs and the Marlins probably there. 
I because he would be in the number yep. five. This is the biggest oh, question sure. with with Reyes, Wayne Wright, Flaherty, Michaelis, and Hudson. That is a lock. Those first four for that rotation for me. I don't think that that Alex Reyes is going to push out any of those. So that means it's number five. It's currently Jake Woodford, aka the Amish Mustang. But it's uh, it seems like that's a very easy one to go into. You also, but then again, you have you have Hicks. I've had this conversation so many times with people about, oh, this is the year that Alex Reyes is starting. We've been saying that since 2016. Um, and I hope that he does because it's so fun to watch when Alex Reyes is starting. Um, I have to think that there is some, I don't know, some Jay Havlett Lester type that once again the Cardinals are okay with because they have a really good defense. They can get Brett Anderson, something like that, where that relies on contact. And instead, we'll rely on him instead of Reyes early on. It could be something in season that Reyes sure. does finally do. Twentieth um, round, though, hey, it could be the Alex Reyes show in spring, and all of a sudden he demands the the rotation spot. And that's cool. Definitely keep tabs on the Mar the, the Marlins, the Cardinals trying to figure out if they get someone else that would slot in as their number five. They won't need a fifth starter either until like week three of the season. They have mm. two off days in their first full week of the season. So they very well could just skip that and keep them in middle relief at least, you know, until right. the end of April. So I would we'll be see. shocked if they don't get something just in the case that someone will get injured sure. or something. And that, uh, you have to plan for depth. I mean, the, the Padres planned for depth and they didn't have enough. <laughs> Same with the, the Mets. <laughs> I mean, it's just sometimes it's just he can't. He, he can't have too much. Things. Mm -hmm. um, last three, Vidal Bruhan. I've been hearing about Bruhan for a while. Right and here he was. He made ten appearances, oh, ten appearances in, in twenty-six plate appearances, ten games for the Rays. Finally, uh, is Bruhan going to get the opportunities next year? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you have to. I, I, there's so many guys on the Rays that you just assume they should be. Um, you, I've assumed that. Kiermaier is out. That's what, you know, everybody's kind of working, working model with Kiermaier is that he's out every year that he's arbitration eligible. Um, they just don't tender it. Um, and they have that opportunity in center field. Bruhan would be that play there. I don't know what he'll be eligible to be, to start the season. Um, as you mentioned, you know, five starts, 10 pl games played, but that's at the major league level. And he did not start enough at the major league level last year to qualify for any position. Um, kind of like Nick Solak did um, a couple years ago where he just didn't play enough at any one position to get a position. Um, and so I don't know the Bruhan is probably easily my first drop um, at the start of the season, depending on how he ends up with spring training, where his role ends up being. Um, I, I will be interested to see what he, what the Rays put him into, but I have two, honestly, in this roster, I have too many bench bats as it is. You have too um, many he, stolen base he, guys he, too, Adam. This is, <laughs> this is 44 stolen bases in, in 2021 for Bruhan. 2019 combined for 48 across a plus ball and double a. Uh, you don't. You don't need another stolen base guy, Adam. No, but it's still it's really fun. He also hit twelve home runs, seventy seven runs, and fifty six RBI in one hundred three games in AAA. Vidal Bruhan. So hey, if he does get that opportunity, this could be a guy that cool. I have uh, this person now, and I can, you know, I can maybe oh, no. trade him or start him, whatever. That's fun. Twenty first round, fine. I'm just messing around with you. The whole stolen base thing. I thought it was funny, <laughs> um, but I really like the next one. I think the next one should have been the twenty first round pick. And that's Spencer Torkelson. Yeah, absolutely. I, as I'm looking over my notes, I agree. Spencer Torkelson should have or could have went. I and mean, there's only a couple picks. No, it's actually a whole round earlier because this yeah, is not you, my turn. Yeah, this is a good, like, 16. 
Yeah. And so like this that. is, you know, Torkelson, first base, played all AAA at first base, though he was drafted at third base as a third baseman, played double A and um, high A ball at both positions. So who's to say he doesn't get that opportunity with Detroit? I think he's up early enough. As you alluded to earlier, the CBA, you don't know what's going to happen. We talked about this on a recent On the Wire uh, where with Eric Cross over at Fantrax and Kevin disagreed. They think that the CBA is really not going to tackle this at all. Um, which I understand the logic. The I mean, the, the Players Association is represented by active players, uh, veterans, um, and it might not be a concern of theirs, at least not something they want to hold on to that much. We'll see. But I do think Torkelson's up early enough. Um, you know, definitely. And, and this is a playoff. This is also a playoff play. He's going to be up this year and he'll be producing at a high level by the time playoffs come around. So if, if this is my stash, I sit on my bench just because this is my trade deadline acquisition um, in my, in my head to head league. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's, I'm okay with that. So seal approval because yeah, you should at least give yourself the opportunity to make that decision come April. Um, and look, there's a reason why Sammy Sosa used it. Everyone can benefit from a torqued bat. There you go. Okay. And Joe Barlow was your last pick. Uh, Joe Barlow could be closing for the Rangers. Yeah, this is typically, if I if I don't go heavy closers, usually my last pick in a 23-round draft is a speculative closer ad, especially this early in the offseason. He's looked really good, though, like when he was – um, you know, they ha- they said out of Texas that if he continues to pitch like this, I'm going to have to make him the closer. And he did. And yeah. he was closing. And then he got I think he either got a blister or something like that. And he was out for a little bit. And when he came back, wasn't the same. Um, but I do believe it, it's, it's last pick. It's like if he's the closer. Great. If he's not, I speculate on a different middle reliever. Uh, but you have. Yeah. thoughts. I mean, Yeah. For like the last month of the season, essentially, fourteen uh, percent strikeout rate, ten percent walk rate in twelve innings. I mean, it's twelve innings. This is a Texas but, closer, though. It's like this is Jose know, Leclerc all I over know. again. Like they, like you know, know. You, you always say, "I hate to see a closer that has that high of a walk rate." Not Texas. They love putting those guys yeah, in the closer yeah, position. It's, it's just he doesn't. It's it's super 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 uh, um, Babbitt reliant, and it's just I have a. that that's it you know is that enough um yeah i but hey hopefully you know i'm maybe i'm bar low on him but he should be bar high um all right that's your draft adam Howe. 23 rounds we made it i on a scale of 1 to 23 how do you feel about this team all right, am I taking off? I like I like your new. It's easier to uh, give yourself a score with your new ranking system. Right, I thought I thought it was a good good mentality. So I'm not. I'm, I won't. I'll barely ever give myself a point for my last pick. Um, I do like your Soroka pick. I was considering that just because you can't move him into the IL spot to begin the year and give you another draft pick. pick. It's, the, it's Mike Soroka. <laughs> it's, it's like I, I I thought I cheated. I thought you know that's the biggest silver approval there is. My pick. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I am. Fast doesn't give out a seal of approvals. Though, I know. So, yeah. it, it was really disappointing. <laughs> I, I, the more I look at it, the more I'm a big fan of my uh, of the roster. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go as high as 19 out of 23 oh, wow. because there's about four picks in here that I'm just either questioning whether why I made that pick, and a big part of it is 
the no like that Nola Mountcastle pairing versus the you know possibility of a Riley and another starting pitching pairing. Um, and then the Alex Reyes pick is a throwaway pick. The Joe Barlow pick is a throwaway pick, and the Bruhan pick is a is a throwaway pick. So I'm a big fan of the rest of, of the rest of the roster as it's constructed. Sure. Um, and so I don't think I got a lot of value at the beginning of my draft, uh, but I think I built on my construction of my roster in the middle and the end. I think it's a solid team. Um, I think you're going to be chasing saves a ton. Uh, I, I I don't really love the Mondesi pick in the seventh. Um, I do, you know, I gave out the, uh, you really did nail it with like Wit and, and Solaire. I think Contreras is a solid one. Ashby was cool. Um, I am so conflicted on Montgomery, but considering him as your sixth, then fine. But I don't know if you'll actually be able to make that decision mm-hmm. in April or not if you want to hold on to it. I don't know if we'll have clarity on Montgomery for a while. Um, but I, it's it's a solid team. I mean, this is going to work. Uh, there, there is certainly uh, expectations of, of like... It's like the fantasy expectations ones. Like, we all, as analysts, like, oh, yeah, Tyler O'Neill is fine, right? And Robbie Ray should be not terrible, right? And Aaron O should be better. It's a lot of shoulds. It's a fantasy should team, you know, uh, of like Fernando Tati should be healthy enough, you know, um, a lot of that stuff, which I like Dylan C should improve on what he is. Sure. Um, and that makes me a little bit more, less encouraged. But I mean, I think it's still a really good team. 18, I'm going to give you 18 out of 23. That's a, that's a really good ranking, by the way, <laughs> relative to what I've been giving people. I'll take it. Um, but uh, but yeah, there is there's slightly more risk than I we want to acknowledge. I think with this team, and that that's the biggest risk. Okay, um, that is going to do it for this edition of the On the Corner podcast. And before we go. Adam, tell everybody everything that you do. <laughs> well, the number one thing, uh, make sure you listen to myself and Kevin Hastings uh, every other Sunday during the offseason. We'll go back to every day during this, uh, on, on the wire, at on the wire uh, pod um, on the Twitterverse. We, uh, we break down free agent um, op- options um, on your, in your fab leagues every Sunday morning. So you have all day to listen to it before your fab uh, bids go in around 9 or 10 o'clock, depending on your format. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've been writing a, bu- a weekly articles over at batters on the batters box series, doing the bullpen, uh, depth charts series as well. We'll see what, what the future has. In, he's in he's the podcast manager now, guys. He's a busy man. I'm busy. Adam Howe. Busy. Follow him at 80 grade. <laughs> also follow at on the wire. Um, I believe it's on the wire pod, OTW pod. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the wire pod. On the wire pod. On, on Twitter. Um, but that's going to do it for today. So on behalf of Adam Howe, my name is Nick Pollock, and I'll talk to you guys next week.